welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. So, we are in week three of addiction. And when I was kind of thinking about who to have on as an additional guest, the first person that came to mind is literally my favorite person on this planet, the producer behind this show and fantastic guitar player, my husband, Mike McGraw. Hello, everyone. So I'm so excited to have Mike on today. And the reason why is because he himself was addicted to cigarettes for many, many years. And we've had deep conversations around what that was like for him. And I thought to myself, well, this would fit perfectly in kind of illustrating what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So let's kind of... um, open up the conversation, hun, and see where we go with this. So first off, um, let's start with how did you get started? Like, why did you even pick up cigarettes in the first place? Because I thought they were cool. I was maybe 16 years old and... I started to see people, friends, and obviously media, um, me being a guitarist and, you know, loving music and the whole imagery of being a rock star and everything like that. It was sort of always in my face, and it was one of those things where you would always sort of just kind of, you know, you'd see it as a reality that was part of the deal. So I, I think I just sort of absorbed it in that kind of way. And around 16, 17 years old, I started to kind of sniff around cigars. Uh, we would go to the beaches, you know, you know, friends would go to the beach and hang out and do bonfires, play acoustic guitars, and inevitably somebody would, you know, break out a cigar. And that was kind of like the first, like, you know, four-way, you know, into uh, the world of tobacco um, and kind of, you know, what cemented it in my, you know, my brain as a part of me. So because I have a little insight around this, since uh, um, we are family, <laughs> I would love to know, does um, having your, I know your dad was a smoker at the time as well, right? Yes. Do you think that had any effect on you? Genuinely, you don't have to answer me yes, just because I'm asking you the question. I've actually thought about that always, you know, when we've gone through this and, you know, I've talked about it with, you know, with you and my family and, you know, I probably even my dad. I never really remembered him being a smoker. I never really remembered him smoking around me. And I know that for a fact that he, you know, around when he was smoking, when I was a young kind of, you know, younger age person, he did kind of, you know, you know, take himself out to the, you know, the backyard and that kind of thing. Um, But when I was a younger kid, he definitely was, you know, he was smoking in the house. And all I can really remember is I'd find like cigarette burns in the carpet. And it was sort of like this intangible reminder that that he was a smoker or once was. Um, But I'd never... I never had like the inclination that my dad's a smoker. I see him smoking. I want to do that. I want to be that person. That wasn't ever the case. Awesome. Yeah. So it definitely was more integrated into the idea of being cool and having it be part of the musician's life. It felt like it was just more of my own thing, honestly. It didn't it didn't feel like it was connected to him at all. I mean, it's probably honestly subconsciously there. But it wasn't like I looked at him and said, oh, you know, I want to be like dad and smoke too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So good. I mean, not good in the long run, but I love hearing your your, um, experience because it's different and not what we all think how it always goes for everybody. Because you would think naturally that I would see him doing it and I would, you know, like he'd hand a pack of cigarettes over to me or something and then we would just go for it and, you know. Exactly. Very old school way of doing it. In fact, I think that's what happened in his family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because that's what was normal. I mean, doctors were smoking in doctor's appointments when he was growing up. Absolutely. (laughs) So um, do you by any chance remember what it was like when you... Let's let's fast forward past the cigar era, and now you're picking up cigarettes. 
Do you remember if you actually enjoyed them right off the bat? Um, it was the enjoyment was was there in like a an experiential way. It wasn't like I enjoy the taste of the flavor or the feeling, um, but it was an enjoyment of the experience. And I never had to get through a, you know, cough, cough, oh, God, this is so gross. Why does anybody do it? Oh, I'll just try to be cool so I do it again. That never happened. It was just like, you know, I tried a cigar and then I tried a cigarette and, you know, you know, just kind of went from there. I never never had that typical experience of like, oh, I have to do this because I'm, I, it's cool or I want to be cool. It just was a part of a... Um, sort of like a, a montage of media that I saw, you know, and, and I think it just subconsciously was, you know, a part of me. My first guitar hero was Slash. And, and I mean, to this day, he's still got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Exactly. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that you said that it felt like it was your own thing. Yes. It was so much my own thing that, like, I would do it in the car, like, on a ride. You know, I'd take a drive and, you know, roll down the window and listen to music and, you know, smoke the cigarette that I got. It wasn't even, like, a pack of cigarettes. It'd be, like, I, you know, got a cigarette from a friend or something, and then, you know, I'd, I'd have that, and it would be, like, an experience. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. So how many years did we figure out? Was it? I mean, tobacco with, like, cigars and stuff would be, like, 16, 17, but I was obviously fully, like, buying, you know, packs of cigarettes at 18, 18 years old, and I quit when I was 30. 30, right. So there we go. So 12 yeah. years of being yeah. a smoker. fully smoker. Yeah. Um, and like I, <laughs> we were talking about the other day, I remember when we were first together, you were still in that phase of... I mean, just at the very beginning, because I know I remember you switching to American Spirits because they didn't have the additives. Yeah, it took me a while, though, because I mean, I definitely went through the gambit of, you know, whatever was, you know, cheap and, you know, whatever was, uh, you know, I'd see in movies and, you know, parliaments with the weird little recessed filters. And I mean, I think I honestly went from a cigar to an unfiltered camel uh, cigarette. And then, you know, it just kind of, you know, became a thing of, you know, when, when, you know, when I was older and, you know, had a job and trying to pay for it and figure it, all that stuff out, it was just like, you know, oh, there's a buy one, get one free deal. Sure. And sure. I'll smoke Benson and Hedges this week. And, you know, just really odd things that, you know, looking back, I never do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And that is that's that's the piece I actually vividly remember at the very beginning of us being together, um, when you had that little Subaru, mm-hmm. um, and we'd pull up to the gas station, and you were just always looking at what what could be bundled. Yeah, yeah, you, you'd spend eight dollars <laughs> and get three packs of cigarettes or something, and, and you know, because that would that would be the way to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So me being on the other side of you not inside your head, you know, as we grew together as a couple. Um, It was amazing to watch because, of course, we also had friends that were smokers and they would really get antsy when it came to, oh, it's time to have a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And I never got that from you necessarily until the end Meaning the end of your smoking era. Yeah. You know, when we got closer, when you got closer to 30 and you were starting to consider it. That is probably around the time that I started to notice that you did probably have some thinking around it. Um, Of course, I didn't have those words at the time. But it was the first time I started to notice because before you were much more passive than some of our more anxious friends when it would come to it's time to go have a cigarette or I need to have a cigarette break. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that was really um, obvious about you. I mean, it's just your nature is much more calm anyway. But it was an amazing thing to see when it got closer to being taken away from you, even though you were the one choosing to put it down. Correct. That you started to be more, it was more obvious to me that 
this was definitely an addiction and not something you could just put down. Because I think I had kind of made it up in my mind that maybe you were somebody who could just put it down and not have any... Well, yeah, because there's yeah. The, the mythical creatures that, you know, can... That are, you know, you know, go to bars and have a drink and have two cigarettes and then they don't have one ever again or they have one with their friends, you know, uh, two months later or something like that. And I definitely wasn't that person. Right. But I totally thought you were because you never really seemed to mm-hmm. have that antsiness about you. So anyway, when it's when we got towards the end and it really started to become obvious that this was an addiction, um, I guess maybe I should rewind a little bit. Even in those years that, to me, you looked like it was passive, did you have thinking around it? Like, if just in hindsight, when you reflect no, on it. No, I mean, it. honestly, like, when I was a smoker and I knew that it would just, I, I was a smoker and that I could have one if I wanted to, just the thought of, of I can have one if I wanted to took away that ridiculousness. It was like, I'll have one when I want one, or when the movie's over, I'll go out and smoke a cigarette, or, um, you know, when... Uh, when we're done having this conversation, I'll, you know, I'll cap that off and go, it'll, I'll go have a smoke then. Uh, it was never a situation where I felt like it was controlling me in, in my daily, you know, my daily times. It was more of like a, you know, I've eaten lunch and now I'll go have a cigarette and, you know, we're going to go see that movie. But before we go in, let me just finish the cigarette. You know, I have a drink and then after the drink, I'll have that cigarette. But it wasn't a situation to where I felt like it was running my life. It was more of a uh, habitual, scheduled situation almost. And in that, if I couldn't have it at that moment, I wouldn't freak out because I knew at some point I'd be able to. Cut to, obviously, when it was time to quit. And when I tried to quit multiple times before eventually totally quitting, um, the psychology comes into play. Because then you're left with the idea of it's over. There is no when you have time later or when you get another chance or when the movie's over or when the conversation is over or whatever that is. It's, 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 it's finite. It's an ending. The book is closed. You're done. And that doesn't have anything to do with, with cigarettes. That's psychology. It's, that's your thinking. Exactly. Yeah. When you knew that it was going to be taken away from you, And again, you might not have been totally conscious of this at the time. So this is all just in hindsight. Mm -hmm. But kind of, I'm a little curious around the idea of, you know, you've been hearing the conversations because you produce this thing. Of course. (laughs) Um, You know, about, I think we see it especially more in things like, you know, alcoholism and um, food addiction and sex addiction. Mm -hmm. People are often going to the addiction because they're craving a different state of mind. How do you see that that plays in to your experience? I think it was a comfortable experience for me in that, yes, my body needed the nicotine, I definitely liked the moment of serenity and peace to myself. I'm a, I've always been a very, like, you know, solitary person. You know, I wasn't an only child, but I definitely um, sort of presented myself that way in life as a kid. And, you know, I'm still probably an only person. I present myself that way in, in normal life as a human being right now. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was like sort of an excuse. It was like, you know, two birds with one stone. I was able to get some alone time and chill out and not have to talk or listen to anyone. And then I could also give my body this craving it needed. And then you factor that into the psychological aspect of habituality when you you schedule your habits, basically. they You know, they take on a life on their own. You know, going back to the first question of like, why didn't you feel like you had to like break out to have a cigarette constantly? It's because I knew I had some grasp on my mind that I knew that I'd be able to do it eventually. But when that door gets shut completely, then you know you don't. And then it's a completely different story at that point. So what's interesting is it's almost like your smoke breaks Mm -hmm. were scheduled meditation time 
Yeah, they're just a really unhealthy way <laughs> to to you know find my own little peaceful spot. Yeah, which at its core is kind of what we're pointing to, right? Like if you were at work and you're dealing with folks that are you know starting to drive you up a wall. Yeah. When you think to yourself, oh well, I'm gonna have a cigarette after lunch. Lunch is coming soon. Yeah, that you furiously get pissed off at somebody and you storm out of the you know out of the office and go to the corner and smoke a cigarette. It's like that's your, you know, that's your way to to run away from that moment and get get some peace, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So really, you so what you're illustrating is essentially that is exactly what we're talking about here. Then yeah. that you knew, no matter what your experience was in this moment pre cigarette. Mm-hmm. You knew that at some point, like the thought would come, I'm going to be having a cigarette soon at this time or this is coming. Yeah. So again, you wouldn't get the itchy antsy thing that we saw in other friends of ours. Correct. But just the thought that it was coming gave you the relief almost probably in the same way as the actual act of doing it did. Exactly. Well, it's sort of like, you know, you're on a road trip, right? And you have to pee really bad. And, oh, my God, I got to pee really bad. Oh, my God, I I have to pee now. And somebody says, I will exit the next stop to pee. And you don't realize that the next stop to pee is like another 30 miles. And there's nothing you can do about it. But you know that the exit is going to be there and that you're, you know, the person driving the car is luckily going to pull over and let you go pee. It just calms it down for you and the psychology in your brain chills out and you don't flip out and that's kind of the way it was that is such an amazing metaphor i'm so happy that a little mike mcgraw metaphor came out of your mouth on this talk because guys i live with this i will be sharing you know different ideas and insights that i'm having around different things and he always comes out with these great simple totally relatable and and something we've all experienced metaphor. So, um, but you're right. That so yeah. makes sense. You know, that, I mean, you've used that against me. <laughs> we've been on hikes before where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just around the bend. <laughs> we, I'll be like, I thought this wasn't supposed to be super long. And you go, oh, we're, <laughs> the end is just around the bend. And I don't take that bait anymore because just around the bend has meant five more miles in the past it's a really long bend (laughs) okay so we get to you quitting yes you tried a couple of times yes and was that kind of do you do feel like that was like haphazard attempts at quitting i mean none of them were haphazard but i you know everyone who's ever quit anything that's been like a substance or you know probably anything really they always say that if you if you quit for yourself, it'll be something that you can manage and you can probably actually accomplish. But if you try to do it for other people or other reasons outside of yourself or your own choosing, it's a kind of a, you know, it you most likely will fail. And that was it. It was, you know, it was, I tried quitting once for you. Yep. I tried quitting probably for my family and friends, other people. Yep, and I know then, for sure my parents and your parents yeah, were, you know, really wanting you to stop. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with, you know, good intentions. It's like no, no matter what you, what you try to do, if, it's, if you're in that darkest corner of the moment and if you fall back on yourself and yourself says, I didn't really want to do this right now, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go right back to it. Yes. You know? God, what a good point to make. Seriously, a good point to make and pause around for a second the fact that you said, what was the very first thing that you just said as far as uh, when you quit for yourself or when, you know, when you're ending a habit or an addiction? Yeah, just that if, if, you, if you get to that, that last straw and you really want to, you know, you're, you're taken over by it, if it's not coming from you, if that choice isn't yours, you're going to tell yourself that it's okay. You're going to give yourself a, a pass. You're going to you know, say, ah, it's fine. Just, you know, you didn't really want to do it anyway. And, and, you know, the agreement wasn't made with yourself in the first place. It was made with other people. Yes. And the reality is, is that my opinion of wanting you to quit 
our family's opinions of wanting you to quit. At that point, they're just knocking around your head. Just like all the other thoughts about should I, shouldn't I, this, that, and the other thing. That is not rooted in your own personal resolve, in your own wisdom. Yeah, I mean, there's still good, you know, good inclinations and good guidance. Of course. Everyone obviously wanted me to quit smoking because they cared and loved about me and didn't want me to die, you know, and have issues later on in life. But, you know... Until it truly becomes something of your own accord, you're choosing this because you want it. It's just not going to carry the same weight to have that, uh, that to give you that strength when you're at your shittiest moment, basically. Yes, you know? yes. And I think it's important for us to kind of take a moment to pause right here because I'm sure there are plenty of people out there listening to this that have had friends or family members that are addicted to things, especially that are not good for them. I mean, no addiction is good for us, even when it we think it is. Um, yeah. But I guess I should say addicted to things that are dangerous. And, um, you know, it's probably, it's an exhausting battle when you so badly want the person that you love to choose something different. Correct. And so, yeah. It's, it's really hard to get somebody to want to do something on their own accord. You yes. can get people to understand where you're coming from and you can get people to understand that, it, like, even that, you know, it hurts you to see me make this choice. And it's just really difficult to to transition that emotion and those kinds of thoughts into somebody else to where it makes sense that they want to choose this choice. It's really difficult. Because truly we are each on our own paths and journeys. And we have to get to a place of letting people have their own experiences because the reality is, you know, we each have our own rock bottom, whatever that is. And typically when we hit our own personal rock bottom, rock bottom, whatever that is, because it's defined differently for every single person, more often than not, that's kind of what starts to kick in a person's resolve for change. Exactly. Yeah. My, I guess I, I didn't have a rock bottom, but I had like a, a, a personal decision to make it this is the ending point for me. Yeah, so that's yeah. great transition. Tell me again. Rem- I mean, I kind of I I think I can remember what what it was, but tell me from your personal experience what did that for you? It was just sort of an arbitrary idea that I didn't want to smoke cigarettes after being 30 years old anymore. So, turned 30, birthday, my birthday on my my 30th birthday, I didn't want to be a smoker anymore and I wanted to quit. And was that a thought that came out of nowhere? Would you would you go out on a limb to say that that was wisdom helping to guide you? Yeah, I mean, possibly. Yeah, I mean, it 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 definitely was something greater in me knowing, you know, a, a greater knowing inside me that like I have wanted to quit, and everyone wants me to quit, and I know it's difficult, and I know that I I I can bounce back and start again, and and it could if I don't if I don't give myself basically the clearest reason to believe in something that it's going to be really hard to do it. And, and it was sort of just like, I envision it like being a parachuter or whatever you jump out of an airplane. It's that, that moment when you're, you're at the open door and you know, you're, you know, in the sky and air's flapping everywhere and you're shitting your pants and you're scared and, you're like, how can I do this? And it's like, that's what it is. It's like, that's the open door. I had to give myself like an open door and then know that if I just jumped out it, there's no way to go back. You just got to go down and deal with it. And because I had made this decision and I believed in it and I believed in myself, even if, even if I hated the decision and wanted to go back and thought it was stupid and tried to, you know, 
do all the things that, you know, people go through addiction, you know, and withdrawals and, you know, like uh, the steps, I can't remember them, but you, you know, you start, you know, making excuses and wanting to go back and do this and do that. None of that really had any weight because I had given myself that choice and I chose to jump out the, you know, jump out the door and, and, you know, and do it. Yeah. So at that point, when your resolve was strong enough to want to be done, all of the the arbitrary, like different thoughts that would come into your mind of of maybe this is a way you could do it differently. Like maybe you could just have a cigarette once a night, or maybe you could do this, or different ideas that would yeah. come to you that were just you know your ego mind trying to pull you back into it, and also probably you going through the withdrawals and everything. Um, at that point, it didn't matter. No, because it was just, this is what I chose. I've chosen this. And I've always been that way. When I make a choice like that, it's like, this is what I chose. And, you you know, like, there is no going back on it. You can, you just got to keep doing it. And it's going to hurt and suck and be painful and be weird and uncomfortable. And, you know, you're going to. You're going to try to bargain. That's what I was thinking oh, earlier. Oh, yes, the bargaining, bargaining, of course. You know, yes. You're going to try to bargain with yourself and say, oh, if I just do this and that and then this and the other. And and my way out of that always was I chose this. I made this choice. I hate it right now, but I made this decision. I chose it. So, I mean, I really educated myself before doing it. I worked. I used to work at a health uh, uh, holistic physical therapy and chiropractic clinic. Did a lot of nutrition and um, and, you know, help people in a wide variety of different, like, you know, health kind of stuff. And they had a lot of information on like, uh, natural supplements and ways to deal with, uh, you know, with, with cigarettes and getting out of addiction and that kind of stuff. And I educated myself on that a lot. And I did those things prior to doing it. I cut out all of, uh, sugars. I stopped drinking for a month. I, I didn't eat any, like, you know, complex carbs, no fried foods. Essentially, it was, for me, those were like, you know, if I had triggers, they would probably be in that camp. But I just noticed that, like, those were all the things that sort of breeded the idea of, oh, man, a cigarette sounds good. Um, I didn't ever have specific triggers, so that's why I was a little kind of, that's why I say it like that. Yeah. You know, like, some people were like, if I had a cup of coffee, I had to have them with it. It just wasn't that way for me. Right. Um, but and remind me, did you do that the month leading up to the quitting, or you did that hand-in-hand hand with the quitting? I actually I can't remember. I did that, I think, hand-in-hand hand with the quitting. Okay. It was cold turkey. No, I know, but I didn't know if yeah. the uh, removing the different foods out of your life was no, leading up to it. And I, I don't think so. Now that I say it out loud, I think it was all at the I same time. I think it was time. just all at the same time, because I think at my 30th birthday party, I think I drank and... And ate a bunch of junk food. And, You're right. You did. And the next day was, all right, we're going to do this. Yeah, day one. That's yeah. right. Um, share with share with everyone the what you had said to me that you had kind of realized about when you were a kid with chicken pox, how it felt the yeah. same. So I, I think I just have always had this, this like kind of handle or stranglehold on my mind in a way that just always seemed really simple to me. Um, and it was perfectly illustrated when I was, when I was a younger kid and I had chicken pox and they itched obviously really bad and they were kind of all over the place. And I was sitting, sitting in a, on the couch in in my house. My mom told me, listen, you just can't scratch them. They're going to get worse. I know you want to, but like, you just can't, if you just don't scratch them, this will go away quicker and you will, you will do better, but you just have to just try not to scratch them. And I know that sounds ridiculous because you have chicken pox, you want to scratch them. And no matter what anybody says, you do it anyway. I just didn't do it. And I told myself, literally, you just can't go there. You just can't do it. You just, I mean, she said it'll get better. And you, and, and I intrinsically knew that within me, it made sense even as a little kid that if you didn't scratch these things, they wouldn't get worse. And, you know, they're going to itch. It itched forever. It itched so much. But I learned a lot about my mind and, and like, sort of meditative states that I could get into. And I talk about a lot with you about how it's like a handshake or an agreement. And I made that with myself. I just said, you're not going to do that. And 
when I wanted to do that, I said to myself, I'm reminding you, you said you weren't going to do that. It's that simple. Just made the agreement, didn't itch myself, and, and it was better. It got better pretty quick, actually. I'm over here, guys, a little bit teary-eyed. <laughs> because what a profound insight at such a young age, because without you even realizing it, that was you being totally in relationship with your true self, separate from your brain. Correct. That was you knowing, like when you said I've, that was a handshake deal with yourself. Yeah, an agreement I made with myself. I'm not going to itch. Yeah. I want to itch. You said you weren't going to itch. I know, but I want to itch. But you said you wouldn't itch. All right, fine. And then <laughs> 30 seconds later, but I want to itch it. What did I tell you? Would you agree? And it's like that sort of like like a parent-child relationship in my own brain. But that's exactly it. That's why, I mean, it's a, you know, it's kind of a fad um, uh, phrase right now, but it's a excellent phrase, so I'm not making fun of it. But, you know, something that's in the ether right now, especially in the world of self-development, is this idea of reparenting. Mm-hmm yourself. Oh yeah. Not you going to therapy with your parents and not even including your parents in the conversation of reparenting. It's 100% you not you personally, but sure. you know, you as a human in general taking the time to consider any time that you kind of feel like you're coming up against yourself to recognize that maybe it's a spot that you you know, didn't have something modeled for you or for whatever reason, you know, because our parents are always doing the best they can all oh, yeah. the time. We all are with whatever is available to us in our mind, you know, and so. Yeah, just think about being the age they were and, you know, and you being that age now and try to do what they did. It's nuts. Well, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so in that idea, you know, it's like, you know reparenting is exactly what you're talking about is that in those places where you might feel like, Oh geez, I don't really know how to do that thing. Like communicate. Well, mm-hmm. if that's something that you would like to do, if that's something you would like to get better at communicating, you can put on this idea of, well, why don't I reparent myself in this, in this arena? And start to kind of coax out what this looks like for me so I can define it for myself. Um, you know, what good communication would feel like, what I would enjoy doing and being a part of in relationship to others and to myself. Totally. But, but there you were, not reparenting because you were a tiny kid, so there was no yeah. need to reparent, but you were just essentially had this really great kind of parenting conversation inside of yourself. I mean, yeah, it's just, it just like, it makes sense if you can make sense of it. Like, I think even as kids, we can make sense of that. This idea that if you don't, if you don't scratch these things that are really itchy, if you scratch them, they're going to get worse. If you don't scratch them, they're just going to stay the way they are, but it's going to pass eventually because it's just a virus that gets better. That makes sense. You, It starts to not make sense when you lose control and you scratch it and then you bargain and then you keep going further and further and you, you know, but if you just make that agreement, you can always come back to what's realistic and what's in reality and what makes sense. And, and that did. And and even though it was annoying and and itchy and sucked and sure painful, it did pass. And, and, and it sort of, I guess through doing it, it taught me a valuable lesson. Well, it created a giant reference point for you moving forward because here you were 30 years old quitting cigarettes Mm -hmm. and it came to mind. Exactly. Yeah. So how were those first, um, how were those first few weeks or how was that experience for you quitting after that? So I did a few things, like I said, with the with the food and and changing my like my drinking habits and like eating habits. I exercised more. That was a big thing. Trying to get a lot of cardio, clear out the lungs. I took a natural supplement that uh, helped curb uh, cravings a little bit, but 
technically it's either a week or two weeks, might even just be seven days, uh, where your body is chemically addicted to the, to the nicotine. Past that, it's all psychological. So I did that research. I figured all that out, made sure I had enough information to put myself in the best place. And it was, you know, of course it was difficult and I was irritable and, you know, I wanted all, all of the stuff. I wanted everything. I wanted to, to have a beer and I wanted to eat pizza and pasta and eat Chinese food and have a cigarette, you know, have a <laughs> damn cigarette, you know? And, and, um, one of the issues I remember previously when I tried to quit was, you know, being a, being a musician and being in clubs and stuff, it was a huge part of the scene and hanging out and everybody could, everyone goes out to smoke afterwards or whatever. And I felt like I couldn't really be my full self without doing that. And when it came around the, when I was 30 and chose to do it, it was a different story. It was a choice that I made, the handshake again, the agreement. And it didn't really matter what, like about it. It wasn't that I thought I couldn't be the person that plays music and goes to a club or works in a club and does all that kind of stuff. It was just like, this is a choice you made. It has nothing to do with, are you going to be that person? Who cares? Get over it. Like you're going to be able to still do those things and you just won't do that thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It just changes your perspective. Yes. So would you say, and I kind of actually remember that, that when you were in those couple of times that you had tried quitting previously, um, that was, I think when you picked up those little cigarillos, the tiny yeah. cigars, the tiny cigars. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure you picked those up because you were struggling the most with your identity kind of being torn apart with yes. the musicians after a gig. Yeah. So that was your bargaining thing. It's Correct. okay, well, I'll just have one of these. Yeah, when, and then that turns yeah. into after lunch, oh, I'll just have one, whatever. And then after a while, you're smoking cigars and cigarettes. <laughs> and it's like, just smoke cigarettes again until you can figure out how to quit like the right way. Yes, you know? exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was definitely because I made the decision. Because I made the choice and the choice had the weight of the agreement of like almost envisioning within myself two of my little inner hands saying, you know, yeah, we agree. This is the, we've signed the contract. It, you can't, you can't go, you know, back on that. Yeah. And that's what I think was the thing that really helped me move past it. And, you know, now I can't imagine being a smoker, smell it. It makes me want to barf. I know. It's insane. Yeah. 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 I know. It's amazing. I, I, uh, I actually remember kind of having a moment with my sister of, we actually got teary eyed together when you quit. And I knew that it was for real. I could just sense it. I could just tell leading up to it. I could tell it felt different, but, but especially afterwards, like, I'll actually never forget where I was standing when you came in from outside because you had your last cigarette by yourself. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like your last salute to the whole experience. Yeah. And um, and I could tell by your face and your demeanor that it meant something much different, that you, that you truly had said goodbye to something. And I remember <laughs> talking to my sister about it afterwards, and we both got kind of teary-eyed because we ourselves had kind of as much as we didn't want you to be a smoker because we didn't want you to be unhealthy and, you know, hurt yourself that way. Oddly enough, we went through our own little psychological break of going, Oh my God, but that, you know, you know, that's part of who he is and he doesn't, and he isn't that anymore. Guess he's not going to be cool anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It was just such an odd thing. I remember both of us experiencing because I wanted nothing more, but to have you, not smoke anymore by that time. I so was nervous. You know, of course, I want to, I want us to, you know, be holding hands like otters and float off into the sunset on sailboats, you know, whatever the mm -hmm. picture is in my mind of us dying at 120 together, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, it was an odd thing for me to even experience a little bit of a thought storm around what it was going to be like to experience a different you. Yeah. 
And then, frankly, for that first couple of weeks especially, you weren't yourself, like the person I knew before. You weren't as calm. You weren't as... um, Passive is the word that comes to me, but you're so not a passive person, but just chill, you know, yeah. just a chill person. I, mean, I was more irritable. Things got to me quicker. and Well, they just you got know. to you and in then, general. And then <laughs> um, when I go through those kind of, kinds of states of like trying to get through something painful or tough or difficult, I tend to go into that meditative uh, uh, self-enclosed place. That's what I did when I had the chicken poxes that I sort of just closed my eyes and envisioned myself being, you know, in a, you know, I don't even know if I did this, but it's like, this is what it feels like being, envisioning yourself being in like a dark room by yourself, like no one else is there, that kind of thing. And that helped me sort of gain um, control, gain um, just, just sort of like being able to maintain the moment, not having to have any input from anyone else, basically. Yeah. It was really helpful in those times. So I sort of went into those places during that time. And that of course is difficult because that's not me being my normal self or communicating or being, you know, emotional with anyone. And that of course means you, you know, so yeah. it's definitely more closed off and cold. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I got a little nervous of like, Oh my God, where did my husband go? Yeah. Or boyfriend at the time, but still we were husband to be, we had, yeah, exactly. But we had been together for, 12 years at that point, mm-hmm. 11, 12 years. So, um, yeah, so I was, I was in my own thing. Um, something that I, that, that just, um, bubbled up inside of me when you said that about the room and kind of, you know, that you created in your mind that at least that's how it felt. Sounds to me like, um, there was just a true knowing in you that you needed to stay present and it's, and it's having that, you know, I'm just putting this into my words that I use all the time, but it's having that agency over yourself, getting your power back from your mind, especially probably in those flurries of addiction that would kind of fly up, fly up, whether that was the physical or the psychological part that went, that came that would come up. Exactly. It's sort of like when you see like an animal that like goes into like healing mode, yeah. And they just look like they're sort of dead, but they're not. They're laying there and like, is it alive? Oh, yeah, it's alive. It's just healing. Yes. It's kind of like what I would do, you know? It, like, I used all of my energy to basically work on getting past that moment, handling that moment for myself. Yes. Um, and that may be different for other people, but for me, I know, like, you know, dealing like dealing with the emotionality of other people, whoever it be, uh, takes my energy. And in, in those kinds of moments when I'm trying to get past something, I think I just naturally would go to that sort of, I mean, it's a more of a cold, cold closed off place. For us know? out here, but for you inside, that's really actually a really warm and wonderful thing because you're just putting all of your energy into... Into the moment, yeah. Yes, Yeah. exactly. Um, shoot, I had one last thought that came and went... Uh, darn it's okay what were we saying we were oh, shoot that's okay we can probably move on it don't want to have a bunch of dead air but I also feel like there's a thought <laughs> there's a thought that is floating around might have fallen into my dark, cold, <laughs> dead space where it's floating off into oblivion. See you later, buddy. Oh, I know. Thank you. That helped. Wow. <laughs> Would you say that having that reference point from your childhood with the chicken pox, uh-huh. which this conversation can serve as a reference point for anybody listening. Yep. It's not like everybody has to have this experience to no, be able no. to get past something. It's just, it's just a, a, a perspective. Yes. Thank you. Would you say that that helped with you? What um, kind of like, here's the, here was the thought. Like what you said earlier, how um, we can all have kind of a peace of mind if we have, a, if we have to pee really bad. Yep. And the person driving the car says, at the next 
at the next uh, next stop. exit, yeah. we will for sure get off so you can go pee. Exactly. And how that instantly releases all of our thinking around it so we can come back to feeling more peace and it just takes the edge off. Yeah. Would you say that walking into that situation, knowing that, you know, it was going to be uncomfortable for seven to 14 days because of the chemicals coming out of you, you know, for that first week, um, you know, that psychologically it was going to be kind of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that made it easier no, walking into the scenario with the perspective of this is going to be uncomfortable, but because you had this resolve inside of you that you knew you wanted to be done no matter what, yeah. that it was easier with to, to withstand all of those side effects? Yeah, having the resolve or uh, having the experience of the chicken pox? Yes, knowing that it was going to be uncomfortable. And yeah, I mean, I think having the experience of the chicken pox as just like a historical part of me um, enabled me to subconsciously handle and deal with things in that way. Yeah. I didn't like consciously think well you know when you were a kid you were able to do this and get through this thing because of this no right yeah i just it just was me it was like that's why i kind of almost liken it more like the door to the airplane is open you got the, the you know the the pack on and the instructor says it's either now or never and you just go like yes that that was my feeling more than anything but i was supported supported in knowing after i jumped that I made that agreement with myself and, and I, the choice was mine. Can't go back on it because you made the agreement, but I want to go back on it, but you, this is why you made the agreement. Oh, damn it. Yeah, you're right. I did. And then, so it's like sort of no matter where you try to bargain and twist and turn with yourself, when you truly made that agreement and signed that contract with yourself, it just sort of, it, it, it just all makes sense. Even if it sucks. Yes. You're willing to be uncomfortable. A hundred percent. That's, I think, maybe the moral of the story is that yeah. I've more than once, more than many times in my life, agreed to be uncomfortable to get through something. And frankly, that's a theme for things way outside of the bounds of addiction even. Yeah. Um, starting your own business. Yep. When you know that you want to... You know, because you're really, you know, passionate about a product that you're selling or a service that you want to, you know, give to the world. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, walking through this process of me, of me starting my own business almost mm -hmm. four years ago, you know, my goodness, if I wasn't rooted in, in my passion for wanting people to understand themselves in the, in this way. So that way they could feel free inside, no matter what was going on. Um, we have hit so many bumps in the road, yeah, <laughs> financially, emotionally, you know, all the different things that if I didn't have that resolve, I absolutely would have flip flopped and have had, would have had one foot in and one foot out and not known what to do with it. Yeah. Um, and possibly, you know, moved on to doing another job or a different career or something. Yeah. But none of that even crossed my mind. And what's amazing is when we're really in relationship, deep relationship with ourselves, which is what you were when it, when you had that insight, I want to quit when I'm 30. Mm -hmm. That came from your true self. That came yeah. from truly you, that deeper part of you. And that's when I say, you know, we can hear things from our wisdom, that deeper part of ourselves that sometimes we don't even want to hear. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's almost like, you know, I know that you didn't have these thoughts, but it's almost like, you know, when you hear that, you're like, oh, man, really? I've been telling everybody else I wasn't going to quit because I don't want to. And here it is that I actually yeah. am being called to quit myself, but for myself. Um but when we're when we're in relationship with that deeper part of ourselves, um, man, it becomes easier and easier to see beyond everything that our mind throws at us, and what's at our fingertips is that creative energy that's constantly moving through us that helps us in every occasion, so that way we can navigate it. 
you know, in yeah. ways that we wouldn't be able to kind of like pre-think out, you know, it's like in, in ways that, you know, I know that you had, there was some upset in you a little bit. I remember where, you know, going to have a cigarette was kind of your time by your time to yourself when yeah. we would visit family. And I remember that once it came, when we started to go and have those family um, visits and you were like, you know, well, cigarette doesn't work, but it is still important for me to have something to step yeah. away from the conversation. I'll kind of see what shows up for me. It was me. another moment of having um, a, a definition in my life of like, you know, cigarettes define me in my being a musician at a club, you know, doing that thing. And then cigarettes defined my alone time at family gatherings. And it's yes. just having to just, you know, I mean, in, in a way, you sort of find a new definition, but and also in another way, it enables you to open up your mind and realize that there just doesn't need to be a definition and you can just find peace in whatever way it makes sense. Yeah. And what I remember showing up for you is that there was at one point you said, I'm just going to get up and get a, you know, I think the idea you had before we even went to visit family, you were so sweet to communicate it to me beforehand just to let me know what was up is that you said, I think I'm still going to excuse myself from, you know, from everybody chatting and I'm just going to go and step outside and just have some time to myself, even though I won't be smoking. Yeah. And I remember you did that just maybe one or two times. And then that's when you said, you know what? I think I'm going to start say, um, taking my running shoes and I'll just go for a run when I yeah. want to have that time to myself. And again, that's that creative intelligence that helps us on a moment to moment basis when we're present in life. Yeah. If I had said to you before we went to visit family, why don't you take your running shoes in case you want to take a run instead of, I you know. I probably would have pooped it. Yeah. yeah. You'd be like, I'm not going to, in the middle of the day, step away from the family to go for a run. You know, it wouldn't have made sense to you. Yeah. But just being in the moment and know, and honoring yourself, which was, I think, I'll probably need to take a moment to step away and get some time to myself because that's what I, I'm used to and I want to kind of keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And then new ideas, new fresh ideas showed up for you on how to take care of yourself. Exactly. Yep. Wow. Thank you for sharing, hun. You are very welcome. Any last thoughts? Don't smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. No. No, I mean, I just think moreover than anything, it's just a, a perspective. And then once you realize that you do have the power if you want it, and it's 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 really about you sort of having that conversation with yourself it's pretty easy at that point you just get past it all and get past all the thinking i do have one last question yeah this idea about willpower Mm -hmm. because some may say that what you experienced was willpower and i personally would say i wasn't in your your body yeah but I would say that it didn't feel like willpower because to me what, what willpower means is when somebody is just so desperate to do something and they're just arguing like hell inside of themselves not to do it. Is that what it felt like to you? No. I mean, I think willpower is, here's another analogy, like willpower for me is so you have an airplane and you have the pilot and then you have the exhaust. I think willpower is like the exhaust. It's an effect. It's something that you've, you're experiencing. You're experiencing willpower because of whatever puts you to this place to finally get it together to do the willpower. Oh, but you see it as an I after see, effect. I see what I did as being the pilot in the plane saying, all right, folks, we're getting in there and I'm taking off. Wow. Like, I'm in control. Yes. Like willpower is sort of just like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying these things, but it's like faith. It's like faith is an awesome concept. It's super wide and crazy and all over the place. But like, what does it actually mean? I don't know. But like in this moment, I'm choosing to do this thing. And then you can have faith and then you can have willpower and you can have all those stuff. But like, I've made this agreement to do this thing. I'm the pilot in the plane taking off. Wow. You know? 
I'm having a tiny insight. Because <laughs> I've never considered that. Because willpower as an after effect, like a, um, oh, what's the word? After effect is the word, but it's, or not word, but a uh, phrase. But the, oh, sorry guys, my brain is not, is not giving me words today. But anyway, um, help me. Do you know the word I'm looking for? No. <laughs> I say it all the time. <laughs> Byproduct. Okay. I was looking for a different word, but that's another word that totally sure. works. Willpower to you, which makes absolute sense to me, is a byproduct of the choice. Yeah. Well, because what's willpower without the decision of the choice? Well, frankly, the way it gets thrown around in like self-development world is as if it's this like, you've got to have willpower to not make wrong decisions and do things that are, you know, bad for you. And that is full of pressure and anxiety that's and stress. That's what it is. Willpower is power. Power is strength. Strength is pressure. You know, it's like, it's all something to juice you up in order to accomplish something. But if you don't have a choice, a decision, uh, a pilot to the plane, if you just put a ton of gas into a plane and say, plane, go wherever you want, it's <laughs> not going to A, go anywhere. But if you just, you know, you need a pilot to make the plane go. You need a, you know, you got to have, you have to have something driving the ship. But here's the thing. I think the piece that's missing in what you're talking about and the way that it gets thrown around in the world mm -hmm. is, again, <laughs> the missing link of understanding that you are separate from your mind. Correct. Because when willpower, like you said... You may experience a pressure feeling inside. Yeah. You know, it's not like this totally meditative experience of, of detoxing and leaving cigarettes in the, in the past. There is some pressure inside of you in the process of the whole thing. But it doesn't feel as icky when you are, when somebody is consumed. Here's what I'm talking about. When you were first trying to quit... Mm -hmm because of me or family and everybody else. Yeah. That was the gross kind of willpower because you didn't actually want it. Because there wasn't anyone piloting the plane. Exactly. Because Correct. you were absolutely just doing it all from your head. Yeah. There was no you involved in the decision there making. There was I guess maybe if if I had it there was just willpower. There wasn't the handshake. There wasn't the choice. There wasn't the agreement with myself to, to, to make this a reality. Which is what leads to all-consuming stress and horrible anxiety yeah. and the type of pressure that leads people back to the addiction. Of course. Yep. So the takeaway really is from today that I'm sure people are already feeling is, again, waking up to the difference between what do you really want deep inside Yes. And everything that's going on in your mind and starting to really feel the difference between those two things. Um, so you can kind of get to a deeper, deeper knowing in yourself of what you want. Yep. And 100% beginning to honor that and be in relationship with yourself. Um, to make that handshake deal with yourself, like yeah. you're saying. And, um, I mean, outside things can still influence that. Like if you had like a kid or something and the kid looked at you and desperately wanted you to quit smoking, that could influence you enough to get into the driver's seat to quit it. Yes. Like, absolutely. so it's not like outside stuff can't influence you. It absolutely yeah. can. Yeah. But if you're missing that integral piece of making the decision, making the choice, you know, for yourself still yeah, being in the driver's seat for yourself, then it just is never going to work no matter who it is. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yep. Well, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to this. I know it's not the most comfortable thing for you. It's kind of in line with what we've been talking about, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So are you saying that you actually, 
I didn't totally pull you in by the skin of your teeth. You actually did want to be a part of this. Who will ever know? (laughs) Some things in life must be a mystery. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Well, thank you again, hon. You're welcome. Again, everybody, that was Mike McGraw, my amazing husband, who is an incredible musician, guitar player. He is um, the creator of the beautiful music you hear on What Moves You with Jesse in the intro and the outro, and the producer that I am going to be forever indebted to for a million reasons, (laughs) if not just for this. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to share with friends and family and give us a rate and review on iTunes so more folks find us in this little corner of the podcast world. And give me a call. The hotline is always open for questions and comments. The number is 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. Sending love in all directions, and I'll see you next week.